Um, I haven't been up here since Advent, which I was thinking about yesterday, and it feels like such a long time ago, because it was. Um, and a lot's happened for me, but also for you, because that's what happens. Life happens. Um, I'm really excited today, because Michael said I could talk about whatever I wanted. Kind of. Kind of. He did say that. Um, and my favorite thing in the world to talk about is the Bible. So we're already onto a winner. Um, and if you're ever going to give me a moment to talk about something from the Bible, I'm going to talk about uh, the book of Deuteronomy. That's been my uh, like little passion project for the last three years, has been studying that book and teaching it, um, breaking it down for people. And I love it so much. So today we're going to do a little bit of Deuteronomy, just a touch, don't worry. Um, when I tell people my favorite book of the Bible is Deuteronomy, uh, it's a little out of pocket because it's no one's favorite book, except for the people who've like read it a lot, and then you know it's great. Um, this book is my favorite because it's the book that's had the biggest impact on me in terms of thinking that I knew one thing and then actually going to the Bible with it and realizing how wrong I was, um, which I love because then it shows me how much I have to learn and how much better the Bible and God is every time I make space for it to be better, if that makes sense. Um, who's, who's, like fam when I, who's read Deuteronomy recently? By show of hands, nice. Start. Great, yeah. It's kind of the one that when you're doing your like read through the Bible in a year plan, it's where stuff starts to get kind of hairy because you're like, you've trucked through Leviticus, you've gotten through Numbers, and you start reading Deuteronomy and you're like, this is the same thing, <laughs> I just read this. So you start to read a little bit faster and you maybe skim a little bit and you're like, this is pretty much just Leviticus rehashed. I won't pay too much attention and I don't blame you because I used to do that too. Um, until I took a school um, with YWAM, the organization I work with, and I had to read it all out loud, slowly. And then I was like, oh wait, there's something else going on. Um, so, if you haven't read it recently, I'll do a speed little recap to bring us up to where we're at in the story. Deuteronomy is a set of three speeches that Moses gives to the Israelites at Sinai when they're about to go into the Promised Land. So if we think back, Sunday school, Prince of Egypt, they were in Egypt being slaves for like ages, for like 430 years, and then they are, they're oppressed, downtrodden, and they cry out. God hears them. He's like, I'm gonna save those people. He sends Moses, plagues, signs, wonders. God shows off. He saves his people, splits the sea, leads them through it. They're heading to the land that he promised to Abraham. This is like huge. Um, and they walk a little bit, and they come to Sinai, and then God, like in biblical terms, like pops off. There's thunder and lightning and the mountain shakes and the people are all like, God's real. Um, and then he starts their, uh, a covenant with them where he's like, okay, you were slaves, now you're people. What's that gonna look like? And he starts to work with them. Uh, the goal of the covenant always, and like if we had years, we could talk about like the role that the law plays in the Bible and how we use it and what it means and all that kind of stuff, but we don't. So I'm gonna say is that one of the main purposes of the law was for Israel to bless all the other nations. 
It wasn't just for Israel to have its own little like party with God and they're the only ones invited. It was so that they would represent God to the, the rest of the world and so that they would see God, be interested, take note, and come into relationship with God as well. Um, that's kind of the function of the law. In Deuteronomy is Moses taking bits and pieces of the law and formatting it as kind of a like final rally cry before they go into the promised land and become the people of God. That's kind of the context for what's going on. Um, Israel has, I love Israel because we're Israel really often. Um, Sometimes it's easy to read the Bible and just get really frustrated with the mistakes that they make and the things that they choose and we start pointing fingers and then really slowly like a mirror (laughs) rises up and you're like, oh wait, I'm Israel. I'm doing the same thing. I'm making choices and decisions and I have all these motivations that are weird and off and maybe we're not so different after all. Um, There are plenty of things that stand in Israel's way between them and being the people that God wants them to be. Um, There's plenty of those, but the one that I am gonna focus on today, um, because sometimes you just need to preach the thing that you need to hear, um, is about remembrance and not forgetting. Because it's so easy (laughs) to forget. It happens to me, it happened to them, it's probably happened to you, maybe it's happening right now. Um, There's something about the Lord, there's something about the promises he's made, there's something about the, the life that he's shown you that you've forgotten and you're living out of that place of actually forgetting who God is. Um, but what's great is that he tells us what to do so that it won't happen. Uh, the word remember is repeated in the Old Testament uh, 169 times, so it's kind of a big deal. Um, and in Deuteronomy it appears 15 times, which like just the, the verb itself to remember. Um, And that doesn't account for all the times where it talks about like remembering-esque actions, like tell this story or write this down or these actions that are supposed to help us remember. So remembering's a big deal. Why? Because people forget and that's okay. God knows and he's put something in place for us to stop forgetting. So we're gonna read Deuteronomy 6 and I'm gonna do the whole chapter in time. Don't fret. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, uh, we're going to read through it. Um, And then I'm going to like read a little section. We'll talk about it and we'll move on to the next section. But if you have the whole thing open, that's great. Um, Spoiler, the main idea of this chapter is all about story and the significance of remembering who God is. There's dangers and threats that are gonna lead them to forget or make space for them to forget and God's trying to help them avoid that. Cool? Cool. So we're gonna start chapter six. Um, I'll read to verse three and then we'll talk about it. Moses, this is Moses, my guy, going off. He says, now, this is the commandment, the statute and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Nice. (laughs) 
Um, Deuteronomy is repetitive, but it's because the Israelites forget stuff all the time. And so Moses is like, I'm gonna say it 1,000 times, and you might get it. They don't. But he tried, he tried really hard. Um, so it's great, in this little section, uh, we have a bunch of these uh, purpose, of, purpose statements. Do this so that this will happen. Do this in order that this would happen. And so we'll walk through them. This is the commandment the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land you're going over to possess. So our, our questions, why did God give them these statutes and commands? It's so that they would actually do them. I'm guilty of at one time saying that the law was just there to show how unholy we were, that there's no way the Israelites could ever have actually done it and it's just setting up for Jesus. That's not true. And I said that to people. So if you've ever said it to someone, it's okay. We're wrong together. Um, but the law was possible. The like instructions that Moses gave them was possible and they were supposed to do it and able to do it. And why should they do them? That they may fear the Lord, that them and their sons and their sons' sons would actually learn what it looks like to fear God. Why should they learn to fear God? That their, they, that their days might be long. Moses is like, do this so that it will go well with you, that you will multiply greatly. Um, this phrase, that it may go well with you, is repeated a ton through Deuteronomy. And I used to read that phrase a little bit um, with like my own parents in mind, where my dad just like made rules and he was like, you know, you can't do that or else this will happen. And I'd be like, why? And he'd be like, you don't get to ask that. I'm the dad. Um, and you know, they weren't insane or anything. My dad's great, but <laughs> um, it would just be kind of do it and you don't want to find out what happens if you don't. You know, there's like a little thread of a consequence. It's like, do this or else. And I used to read this phrase, um, do it that it may go well with you or else. I used to like insert that from my own experience. But the more um, that I've read Deuteronomy and just the Bible in general and just gotten to know God better, when I read this, I hear it with like a different inflection. There's a different tone. God saying, do this, that it would go well with you. Like, do this so that you'll be fruitful in your life. Do this so that you'll flourish together. Do these laws so that there'll be justice in your community. Do this so you'll feel safe where you are so that you'll know that if something happens to you, there's covering for you. And when you read the laws um, in that tone, you hear like the heart of God for it. He's like, I didn't save you all just to like usher you into a new type of slavery where I tell you what to do. I saved you so I could make you my people, show you my love, that you would be safe and happy and that things would go well, um, which is so beautiful and changed a lot of what I thought about uh, the Old Testament in general. So Moses establishes the laws, they're for your benefit. This is for your own good, not because God's gonna come down with a hammer although he could, um, this is flourishing for you. This is goodness for you. This is God's disposition to want you to do well. Um, we move on to verse four, verse four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. That's the chunk I have, I'll read it. This one you probably know when I talk to people about Deuteronomy and they're not 
super familiar with it, they usually know this little verse. It's a good magnet verse. Um, it fits nice on like a cross stitch. Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Um, nice, you've heard that first part before? Yeah, love the Lord your God, it's great. Um, the verses four and five, they're famously uh, known as the Shema, which is uh, the central prayer in the Jewish tradition. They would say it first thing when they woke up, last thing when they went to bed at night, and all of life is supposed to be framed by this mindset, this worldview, um, that everything starts with God, and this is our response to him, to love him back for the way that he loved us. Um, yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's all of your reason, all your emotions, all your desire, all your decision-making, all of that. Use it to love God back. Um, we think of soul as, like, I don't know, like a bit more ethereal, like our inner spirit or something. Um, but in the ancient Near East, they thought of their soul as their life. It was more holistic, it was everything. It included your physical body, um, everything that you were is your soul. And so when Moses says, love the Lord your God with all your soul, he's saying, love God with everything that you are. All your capabilities, all of your resources, all of your, um, your gifts and your talents and the things that you can do and the things that you can't do, use it all um, to love the Lord. With all your strength, similar. It's uh, your resources, your substance, what you can muster up, everything that you can like, gear up in yourself, orient it um, to loving, loving the Lord. Love him with all of your heart, with all of who you are, and with everything that you have. This is the core value. And when people ask Jesus later on what's the most important commandment, he throws back to this. He's like, love the Lord your God. Not casually, with everything that you are. This is where everything else is gonna stem from, is this disposition to the Lord. Um, yeah, he makes this point to love the Lord your God the Lord is one, um, which is maybe kind of obvious for us, or maybe we don't think about it so much. Um, but the people that Moses is talking to, they've just, they've gotten out of Egypt, they've spent 40 years wandering around the desert learning who God is, who Yahweh is, because they don't know. I used to think that people in the Bible were all just Christians all the time, <laughs> but the Hebrews in, um, in Egypt weren't, didn't fear Yahweh. They didn't know him. They were immersed in Egyptian culture. They would have looked as Egyptian as anyone else in Egypt. Um, when God hears their cries, they're not crying out to him. They're just crying out, and God responds um, to their oppression and saves them. But they don't know who he is. They don't see themselves as his people. If, if any deity showed up and was like, hey, I can get you out of this slavery situation, you'd follow them. <laughs> it's not that they recognize God yet. Um, but God in his patience walks, like walks with them so that they'll learn. We know that they don't really understand Yahweh because like right when they get out of Egypt, they go, God speaks on the mountain, 
like they barely have enough time for that to sink in when they build a golden calf. And God's like, okay, all right, no. <laughs> we need to clear some stuff up. You aren't quite getting it. We'll work it out. Um, and so he leads them for 40 years, feeding them every day, leading them with a pillar of cloud and fire by night so that they'll learn that this God who's doing these things is different than all the others. And he's like, you're gonna forget what I'm like. You're, you already did it. It didn't take you that long to build a calf. It, every day when you grumble and you choose to forget everything I've done to save you, you're losing sight of who I am. So we'll spend more time together. I'll spend more time showing up and showing you who I am. Um, God's within his right to just kind of rule with an iron fist, and he could just lay down the law because he's God Almighty and could like lightning bolt us all, but that's not who he is, and that's not what he wants, and so he wants it to start from this place of love. And that tracks through the whole book of Deuteronomy, if you're inspired to go read it after this. Um, you'll notice that love like bookends everything that Moses talks about. It's about God's love for his people and how what he desires back from them isn't just obedience, do what I say, it's to love him back because that's what he's like, which is so great because none of the other gods or idols or little statues are in the business of loving anybody. Um, so the fact that that's what Yahweh's offering is really good news. Moses tells the people, hey, you are in the business of forgetting so here's what you're supposed to do. Teach these words, what I'm telling you about God, what you've seen Yahweh do, teach them to your children diligently. He's like, leave no area of your life untouched by the truth of who God is, right? And he covers all his bases. He's like, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you, when you rise, Bind them as a sign on your hand, like when you write a note on your hand of something you have to pick up so that you don't forget. God's like, do that. Do that, because you're gonna forget who I am and what I've done for you. He's like, in every space that you have, make it part of what you do to talk about who I am. Anything less, and you're gonna forget. Um, and it's a bummer when they forget. There's a couple things um, that's a danger to them that's not just, well, no, it's all forgetting it all kind of, there's different things that lead into it. But um, in the next little section from verse 10 down, they're on, the, they're on the border of the promised land when they're gonna go in and do this thing, become a nation. Their cities already built there that they're gonna go in and take over. If we know the story of Jericho, Huge city, double walls, big deal. They march around with the trumpets. If you've ever acted that out in Sunday school, it's a trip. Uh, when Sam and I were in Nepal a couple months ago, we did the story of Jericho and made the mistake of telling the children they could scream on the count of seven, and they never stopped screaming. Rumor is that they're still screaming today. Um, because they couldn't hear us telling them to stop, and they were just like, they said we could be as loud as we could. Um, and it's a lesson learned for me that day <laughs> to never tell the story of Jericho again. Um, but yeah, they're gonna go into these places that are already established. God's like, this land flowing with milk and honey, it's nice, you've been in the desert, anything's an upgrade, but this is like 
super nice. There's going to be things for you because I'm generous and good and I made this promise to Abraham and I'm going to follow through on it. But from verse 10, it says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. There's a couple things in this section. First off, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore, there's no if. God's like, this is what I'm doing. I made this promise. I can do it, despite you not thinking I can, because you don't know me. Um, when he brings you into the land that he's going to give you, all through uh, Deuteronomy, Moses is reminding the Israelites, God is giving you this land. It's not because you're awesome that you've won it or deserved it or earned it. It's not because you're so good at conquering things. <laughs> it's not because you're so good at like foreign policy, you're going to like, God's giving this to you. There's He's kind of, it's funny, he's kind of sassy in some parts because he's like, it's not because you're numerous and it's not because of your righteousness and it's not because you're great. He reminds them and humbles them all the time. This isn't about you. This is about God and the favor he's bestowing upon you that he's giving you. The goodness comes from him. Um, He's going to give you this city and it's going to be full of great stuff and you're going to get fat and happy and you're going to forget that God's the one who brought you here. There's three dangers here. They're gonna forget Yahweh because of the affluence that they find themselves in. When they have vineyards and farms and nice houses and great wells, they're gonna sit back and be like, man, I got a great farm and a great house and a great well. Life is chill. I don't need anything, like least of all a God (laughs) or whatever, because humans do that. We get distracted by our stuff and we get distracted by how comfortable we are um, and where we become self-sufficient. It's like a little desire in us to not want to need anything. And when we feel like we've hit that, we kind of sit back and stop seeking seeking the Lord. I'm guilty of it, um, and it's it's rough. They um, are in danger of forgetting Yahweh because of idolatry. There's a warning in here to not go after the foreign gods. Everyone around you is going to start misplacing their devotion. Not start to, they already are. Misplacing their devotion and affection and trust and their worship. And it's going to look easier than what God's asking you to do. It's going to look like the option that suits you because those gods aren't righteous and they don't care about holiness and they don't care about doing the right thing and what's best for everyone. And that's gonna line up with the flesh in you that wants to do the easy thing too. Don't go after them. And the third thing is doubting, doubting God because of hardship. That there's gonna be things that come up that are gonna make you think, is God even here? Did he even do this? What did he save us for if it's not you know, easy sailing? Where is he? Um, yeah, when you're not in the desert anymore, 
and you don't have control. Now that you have control over what you're going to eat and where you're going to sleep and what you're going to do, you're going to forget that everything you have is a product of God's generosity. Um, and the is- Israelites do that. They're like, whoa, we are dope. We should fight our own battles our own way. And God's like, this is not, this is not, what are you doing? Stop. Um, and the prophets are going to rail against Israel for years because they've abandoned God. They've lost sight that the land is a gift, that they're even being a nation is a gift. Um, yeah. The people all around them are going to be looking at all kinds of things and all kinds of places for their affirmation, for their security, for their motivation, um, all kinds of empty, broken things that don't love them. And they're going to throw away their love and their devotion and their time and their energy and attention into these things that don't care about them back. Yahweh wants that worship. When it says that um, the Lord, uh, that God's a jealous God, um, and the anger of God's going to be kindled against you, and he's going to destroy you from the face of the earth. We get uncomfy with verses like that, because we're like, he's going to what? What? And you sort of skip past it, because you're like, it probably, he probably didn't mean it. Um, unrighteousness leads to injustice, always. When you start compromising on things, and you start letting yourself be led by yourself, odds are that you're going to go somewhere that's going to hurt someone else. Because when you're number one and it's all about you, um, we don't leave space to think about other people. And God's justice, it's really good for us that God takes justice seriously. That's really good news. If we're people who are aligned with God's righteousness and his justice, the fact that he doesn't just throw up his hands and say, "Eh, I don't care, I won't act ever, um, it's really good that he is this serious about it. At this time, uh, the Canaanites in Jericho and everywhere else were lawless and immoral in ways that we can't really fathom. We go off about our society today and how terrible it is. And if you look at ancient cultures, it was worse, believe it or not. (laughs) Child sacrifice was really normal. That's what their gods demanded and the people just complied with it. It was was normal. Their hearts were so far um, from God's standards and the people that went after these gods were corrupted by them and they began to act and behave like them and God doesn't stand idle while innocent and vulnerable people are oppressed and taken advantage of. Um, Yeah, we read verses like this about God destroying people and clearing them off the face of the earth and we don't like it. Um, But we forget that God's telling them what to do so that that doesn't happen, right? We kind of just read that verse and focus on it, but right above it, God's like, if you love me back, if you accept these laws and commands which are for your good, so that you'll be safe, so that there will be justice in your land and you'll act righteously, if you actually choose life right now, this won't happen. I don't wanna destroy you off the face of the earth. I just want you to love me the way that I love you. I want you to understand how much I love you and have that relationship with you. And so he's telling them what to do so that he doesn't do this destroying off the face of the earth thing, which he also never actually does. Like, we're still here. <laughs> you know, the people aren't gone. Um, the Israelites 100% adopt foreign gods and become unrecognizably idolatrous and awful 
and God's the one who's patient and faithful with them for like 800 years before they even go into exile. And then when they do, they still go in with a promise that he's gonna bring them out. And then he leads them into the new covenant and gives them Jesus and he's still good. They break every promise they make and he keeps every single one. Um, so just a, I, yeah, a little caveat, because people are like, God of the Old Testament, he's angry and into like smiting and destroying stuff. If we read all around it and we like read in this is the story, God's always doing the best thing. His position is always love and righteousness. Um, yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, yeah, he tells him not to go after idols because it's really awful. And <laughs> not only does he deserve that love, idolatry is terrible. <laughs> Sorry, my brain just went out the window. I'll bring it back. Okay. Um, yeah, it's this emptiness that really, I feel like, breaks God's heart. That when we pour out our love and devotion and attention on empty things that don't do what God wants to do. Like, God speaks to us. That's amazing. All these other things, and even today, things that people pour their lives into and pour their devotion and attention out onto that don't love them back, that grieves God's heart. Like, he made us, designed us to have relationship with him. And when we, like, put our blinkers on, we don't look at him. Um, it's really sad. And it, it empties us of so much of that potential that God's put in us. Um, and yeah, so you'll read, if you read the rest of Deuteronomy, um, you'll hear him go on and on and on about idolatry. And that's kind of the framework for it, is that they're gonna empty themselves of all of the things that God's put in there. Um, and yeah, they're gonna miss out on so much of what God wants to do with them and give them and show them and be with them. Um, and it is heartbreaking. So we'll move on to verse 16, verse 16 through 19. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. So my first question reading that was like, what happened at Massa? <laughs> I don't know. Um, Massa was where the spies, if you remember um, in a little earlier, <laughs> Massa was where the spies went into the land. They like got ready, they were gonna go into the promised land. They send in like 12 people to go suss it out. The spies go in and they see giants and they see big walls and they come back and they're like, there's no way that we can win here. We have been walking around for 40 years. No one's like, no, not yet. <laughs> we are, have just been slaves for years. They're not in the best shape. They're not in the best shape like ever, but they're not in the best shape. And they go in and they see the cities and they see the people and they're like, we can't win here. There's no way this is gonna happen. In other words, what they're saying is there's no way that Yahweh can give us this land. There's no way that he can keep his promise. I know we just saw him take down the world's biggest superpower ever in this amazing miracle and multiple miracles before that, but what if he can't do it again? That's what's in the heart of the people. 
and they're like, God, we don't think you can do this. Whether that's what they're actually saying, because what they, what they come back and say is just that, oh, look at all this stuff. Look at how big the walls are, and here's these, these huge people, and they're so much bigger than us. This is the facts. This is what reality is. But what their hearts are really saying is that God can't do this. I don't think God is big enough for this. I don't trust him. I don't believe the promise that he gave me. I've forgotten <laughs> what he's capable of. And I've forgot forgotten to let him be the one to decide what happens next. Yeah, the instruction here where it says don't test God is really don't accuse God of being something that he's not. Namely, unable to help you or to do what he says. Don't do that. (laughs) Do what is right and good, which is these commandments and instructions, because you aren't great at telling the difference yourself. You're actually not great at choosing the right thing to do. God's way better at it, and he wants to help you. He wants to lead you into victory. He wants you to square off against the big walls and the big giants and come out victorious when he's the one that fights that battle. He doesn't want you to to shirk away and come back overwhelmed by what's in front of you because you've lost sight of where he is. It will go well with you, is the promise again, taking possession of the land. It's gonna be a miraculous feat because yeah, there, there are giants and there are walls, and they were right when they said there's no way they could do it by themselves. Absolutely. But this is the good land that God's promising to give them. He's like, I wanna be involved. You and the land is my whole thing. I'm very invested in that happening. Trust me, I'll do what it takes. If he can't thrust out your enemies, then he's not gonna lead you into places where they're there. You won't be brave enough to keep going if you keep forgetting what's really going on, that God's the one who's redeemed us and saved us and brought us into this place in front of impossible things, but ones that he's promised to give us. They'll lose sight of this all the time, and like I said, Moses knows. And so he says from verse 20, when your son asks you in time to come, what's the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God's commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it'll be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he commanded us. Moses knows that there's gonna be a time when all of this wonder, all the signs and wonders and the feeding in the desert is gonna be really far from the forefront of their minds. They're gonna settle, they're gonna have chores and tasks, they're gonna have families, they're gonna spread out. The signs and wonders and the pillar of fire is gonna go away. And then when that mundane kind of life of farming and building and having a family kicks in and they're gonna forget who they are and what they're here for and why do we do this? I love that Moses is like, there's gonna be a kid who's gonna ask about it because that's what kids do. They're like, why is that the way it is? And they keep asking why um, over and over, (laughs) which is great. God's like, I'll use that. It might be a little annoying sometimes, but that's a perfect moment for you to tell your child the Lord brought us out of Egypt. 
which I think if you try to answer any question, I don't have children, so I don't know how this will really work, but next time they ask you why, start with, we were slaves in Egypt a long time ago, and the Lord did this, and then see how long they pay attention. If you can go through all of Exodus, see how far you can get. Let me know how it goes. Your kid's gonna ask you, why do we do this stuff? Why do we keep Sabbath? Why do we go down to Jerusalem and do these feasts? And why are there tithes? And why don't we have temples and altars like everyone else? And where are our statues? And why are we the way that we are? That's an opportunity for them to not just say, because I told you so, we're gonna do the Sabbath, because I'm the dad and I said so. That's the moment where you get to tell them the story. Tell them how we, as a people, we had no identity. We had no agency, no dignity, and God saved us. And he didn't just save us, he did it through these amazing and incredible and powerful things. And he made promises even before that, centuries ago, and he was faithful to them. He saw the way that we're all inclined to destruction, that our hearts are not great. (laughs) And when we're left to our own devices, we choose terrible selfish things um, that hurt us and hurt other people. And he gave us instructions, not only for our own good, but for the good of everyone around us, for the good of all the nations. Um, Everyone who's currently living in opposition to him, who are his enemies in essence, he loves them. And he gave us this instruction so they would know that he loves them. He's reaching out to them too. Through us, through these statutes and commands and instructions and law that he's given us to do to make us different, he's telling them that he loves them and it's all for our good, always. Tell them this story. Every time you get that why question, tell them who we are and why we are the way we are. That it's not just because, it's because of this amazing story. And start from the start and go all the way through and tell it to yourself when you're like, why why can't I just do what everyone else is doing? Why do I have to do the different thing? It's hard and it's time consuming and I want my Sundays back to do whatever I want and I wanna you know, do whatever it takes to get ahead because that's what everyone else is doing. Why do I have to do something different? Tell yourself the story, who Jesus is, who God is, the promises he's made and the faithfulness um, that he's upheld to make them come true. Um, when I was in college, I was part of this uh, student young adult group and we'd meet every Wednesday night. It was like 300 people, it was insane. Um, But people would go up and share testimonies all the time of things that God had done in their lives. And one day, uh, this girl got up and she shared something she'd been convicted of recently. And she said, when she'd first been asked to share a testimony that night, um, her first thought was to just tell the story of how she got saved. Because we would have a lot of um, like non-believers come on Wednesdays and it was very evangelistic. So people were like always sharing the stories of how they got saved, which is always a great story. How God saves us and steps into our lives is always amazing and beautiful and worth hearing and sharing and telling. Um, But her conviction was that that was the only story of God's faithfulness that came to her mind, and it was years ago. That she hadn't been, made herself aware of what God had done since. And she was like, I should have stories from yesterday. I should have stories from this morning. I should have multiple stories this week to choose from because of my awareness of God's faithfulness in my life. Um, And the Israelites have this huge testimony of salvation and it is the foundational building block of their identity. So Moses is like, tell that story because this is what you've got. But but it's a little different 
for us now because we're under this new covenant where the law is written on our hearts and we have the Holy Spirit with us every moment of every day. And every day there's space for us to choose, um, to see, to feel the presence of God with us. And those big, huge stories will always be special, like the miracles, the like amazing things that God has inevitably done. Um, and we, but we should be on the lookout for new stories, for small stories, making them and telling them and making it a point to remind ourselves all the time that God's moving not just in this one huge event, but in the smallest thing that can happen any day. And it'll happen to us, but how we don't forget is when we tell other people, when we make it a culture of sharing um, and encouraging other people. And so my challenge, my question tonight is, is for me, too, I've come back from outreach recently and it's great the first three weeks because people ask you about it and then people stop asking you about it and then you stop talking about it and then you start to forget what it is you learned and suddenly it's like a month and a half later and you're like, why am I so stressed and anxious? I thought I learned something about this and I'd forgotten. This past week I was like, I've forgotten some of the stuff I learned and it's because I stopped. It's not on anyone to ask me, but it's on me to remind myself, to make a point to be like, what was the last thing God taught you? Or how have you seen God be faithful? What are you learning about Jesus? Tell me, and I'll tell you my stuff. And together we can remind each other and be this, this culture that's closer to um, knowing and living out of this place where we know who God really is, rather than a, a memory of something from long before. Like let it be something today that we know. When things are chill and easy, how do you make sure that you remember that it's the goodness and generosity of God that brought you here? If today you're like, I'm vibing, this is great. Sun's out, no worries. Um, how do you work it into your life to be like, to stop and pause and say, God brought me here. Every good thing is from God. The Bible says that, I believe it, because he's the only thing that's good. How can you address the thing in front of you and say, how did God, get me to here? How can I tell myself the stories that brought me to this point? When things are painful and difficult, how do you remember that there's actually never been a trial that God has ever shied away from or abandoned you in? And he's not gonna start with this one. If there's something that's painful and hard right now and you've been wandering through it and you, you sort of haven't even realized that you've been trying to work it out by yourself, how do you remind yourself to, to trust God and let him be the comfort and direction that you need um, by reminding yourself that he's, been, he's done it before. Everything that's come before, you've survived by the grace of God and by his hand and his love and compassion. How do you weave that in so that this time you don't have to forget and then remember, you can just stay in it? We can stay remembering, we don't have to forget first. Um, and I think that's what Moses is like, tell it to your kids when you're walking, when you're talking, when you're lying down, before the forgetting happens. Make it a part of your day so you don't have to forget and then remember. If it's been a long time since you feel like you've made a new story with God, um, how do you go about writing his love and his character on your heart and keeping it on your mind so that you're aware of him in every moment? It's gonna look different for all of us because we're all different and our lives are different and the way our brains work and our hearts work are all <laughs> not the same. There's not a one size fits all, but I think Moses was onto something with this story of telling the story, of making these moments, sort of taking them and making them about God again, 
that's something that I, I learned to really cherish on outreach because everything you're doing reminds you that, you're, that you need God because all of it's insane and you can't actually do it by yourself. And so it's really easy to, in every moment, ask someone, what's going on right now? How are we going to bring God into this? But in, like, in the States, when it's not that obvious, how do we do it? How do we make it happen? Every day is a story, because every day is a day where we can know God more. And every day has grace for the day before, when maybe we didn't make as much of an effort. Um, and every day we can choose to remember. We can remember who we are and who, and who it is that loves us, who it is that saved us, who it is that's given us these stories um, that have changed our lives. Um, yeah, I really hope that you want to read Deuteronomy, because there's more where that came from. Um, it is a really great book. Um, and God's just so good and so faithful. And he loves his people so much. Um, and yeah, he wants us to know it more than anything. He wants us to know how much he loves us. So I'm going to pray that for us today. Thank you. <laughs>